the first time I ever sang that version of Rock of Ages was in Japan. So uh, that brings back memories for Emily and I, for sure. Uh, we are looking at the fourth gospel, the gospel according to John. Uh, we started our series last week, uh, and we are in the very first 18 verses, which would be called the prologue. And in these verses, really, John touches on every theme that he will develop later. Many of the themes that become more well-known and, and flower more come right through the preamble or the prologue. Um, so that's what we're looking at this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1. If you do not, uh, it'll be on the uh, screen behind me. Um, and just a reminder that John is John the Apostle. He's the beloved, the one whom uh, some would consider Jesus' best friend. In chapter 13, when Jesus says, one of you will, will betray me, and they're at a meal together, John is leaning against Jesus with his head on his bosom. It's this intimacy. And yet John is saying to us, this is the relationship you and I are invited into with Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, and it's a beautiful uh, book to read. And so this morning, we're going to study the Incarnation uh, at least touch on it, and uh, hopefully learn more about it. So please follow along with me, starting at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and by the way, this is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. <clears throat> the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we come to these verses that your spirit would uh, shine them into our soul, that we would see Jesus uh, as beautiful as ever, maybe more so than we've ever seen him before. Amen. Uh, I debated on starting this way. I asked a few people. They gave me the go-ahead. This past week, on Tuesday, was the 17th anniversary of 9-11. The reason I know that or knew that was not because I'm marking it on my calendar, but because I go to Red Dirt CrossFit, and every year they do a 9-11 workout. So just my advertisement for CrossFit, one of the benefits is you uh, enter, engage in these memorial workouts that are really long and difficult. But when we showed up to the workout... There were people, athletes we call them, showing up to, you're an athlete if you go to CrossFit, just FYI, it's another benefit, you're automatically one of those. Um, you come, they, they were coming into the workout that had no idea, like it was 9-11. Of course they knew it was September the 11th, but it's like, oh yeah, 
And uh, that day, uh, I think Coleman went to his history class, and it was the first group to come through that, that teacher to ever have not been alive during 9-11. So we kind of had a dinner table discussion. And one of the things we started discussing, Emily and I, was uh, I, we remember when it happened. The thought was, well, will you ever forget it? Like, you would go to the store, even a week later, and everyone just kind of had that look on their face like, oh, yeah, you know, this has all happened. This all is real, right? And you, I remember wondering, like, when will that go away? When will we finally get to a place where it's not constantly on our mind? Uh, not wanting to forget it, but just curious, was this the event that would eventually that would change human behavior in such a way that we just, you can't forget it? It's always on your mind. And, of course, the answer is no, right? There, I don't know when it happened, but eventually... I quit thinking about it. I remember the 10th anniversary. It's like, oh, yeah, it's been 10 years. And we watched some videos and, you know, went through some of the PBS stuff. And, and then what? It's been seven more years since then, right? And so it just reminds me that human nature uh, has in our, we have in our ability uh, to forget things that are critical. And, and now that's why I was wondering if this is a good way to start because everyone's like, oh, why would you start with 9-11? But what I'm really starting with is this. We can take the most um, memorable events in world history and forget them. And I think we've done that often with the incarnation. Um, C.S. Lewis calls the incarnation the grand miracle. By the way, the incarnation is a theological term for Jesus, the God of the universe, coming to earth and becoming a man. And Lewis calls it the grand miracle. Uh, Dorothy Sayer says this, From the beginning of time until now, it is the only thing which has ever really happened. It's poetic hyperbole, but what she's saying is this is what reality is, Jesus coming to earth. She says we may call this doctrine exhilarating, or we may call it devastating. We may call it revelation, or we may call it rubbish, but if we call it dull, then what in heaven's name is worth calling exciting? So she's right. The... the uh, incarnation, that Jesus came to earth, is something that as Christians we might be like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Oh yeah, that happened. Like we come to John 1, oh of course, I, I know this. My hope is this morning we'll see freshly some of the importance of this and that it would actually revive us to understand that Jesus becoming human, his, that is what John tells us, the light of heaven shining into your soul would create in us the ability to shine our light into the world. That's the goal of the incarnation, to live incarnationally, okay? Three things we're going to look at. The first is the affirmation uh, of the incarnation. It affirms something, right? What does it affirm? John says in verse 14, and the word became flesh. That's a strange way to say it, um, he didn't say he became man, though he certainly did, but he's being very clear. Jesus took on humanity. And that could be problematic. Um, that can be problematic because the, the Gospel of John was written into a time where there were groups who thought anything created was evil, right? Sometimes it's referred to as Gnosticism, though that's a broad term. Within that camp are, are several smaller groups of, of, of um, philosophies and even religions throughout, the, throughout history. 
But I think even within our church, not, not necessarily here at Grace, but in the American church, there is a tendency to think of Christianity as being sacred, which it is, yet being different from the secular. Have you all heard the term, you know, uh, we're just passing through? Has anyone heard that before? How do you view the earth? We're just kind of passing through. I think that's a bumper sticker. We're not really, you know, we're going to work and we're going to have a career and have a family, but our aim is to get through this dark, dirty world. It's, It's bad. But yet the incarnation affirms that there is beauty in even fallen humanity, that there's something worth rescuing here, that Jesus didn't just do it from a distance. He actually came in to rescue by becoming a person. And what that means is that Jesus sweat. That when he was a teenager, if he worked really hard, he would have the same odors of another teenager. Now, I don't, that almost, even right there, you're starting to kind of go, whoa, be careful, Ryan. Right? Like, but that's the point. He was a person. And in fact, early heresies that want to say, no, he wasn't fully human, are actually at least making an attempt to name what a lot of us feel inside. And that is, it's very weird to think that the God of the universe became a person. He was sinless, but he was born into a fallen world, and he saw beauty in this fallen place. Um, We had a friend in seminary, a couple, and as we got to know them, she would become more more vocal about her, her sensitivity to sin. And one of the things she would say, for example, is like, I can't, how do you go to a shopping mall? Like, I can't even walk in the door of a shopping mall. It's so evil. And there are times where I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know what she's talking about, right? And I was talking to the husband, and we were having a conversation, and he, he, was, a, he was agreeing, like, that's pretty intense. Like, my wife's pretty intense. Um, but he said, but, I mean, like, how would Jesus view a shopping mall? With the idea of, like, you're right, like, what if Jesus, who's holy, came and walked into a mall. Like, how many of us would kind of want to shield his eyes, right? Don't look, that's Victoria's Secret. Don't look at that, you know? And yet, that's exactly what the incarnation is. Do you know, Jesus was always aware of sin. How He couldn't walk through this hall without being completely aware of your brokenness. And yet, he loved his people, right? And he also affirmed the beauty. He came eating and drinking. There were beautiful things. He might walk in the mall and say, yeah, yeah, I see that, but do you smell the food? And look at the beautiful clothing in that store. Like, he would affirm creation. And that's important because it tells us as Christians, we are to affirm the world that Jesus has made, right? We're not just passing through. Christians should enjoy it the most with, for his glory. Every now and then I get to go out to lunch with some of you um, I don't know if Matt's here this morning. I'm going to call Matt out, Grantham. We were, I was like, let's go to lunch. This has been a while. And uh, we went to Louie's on a, um, like a weekday. Louie's, if you're in Stillwater, like that's the only restaurant on Main Street. Like where do you want to go? Louie's. So we go to Louie's, and um, I know there's others. And it's crowded, so they put our, we, we only have a table like right in front of the door. Well, Matt Grantham knows a lot of people, Right? And his boss came in, or somebody he works with, and, and he was great. We're talking, but everyone would be like, hey, Matt, what's going on? And then, who's this? And he would have to kind of go, you know, it's my pastor. It's my pastor. And every time he said it, I thought, I should just get a white collar, you know. Um, as an aside, when I was 
getting into youth ministry, I would introduce my friend, youth minister. He's my youth minister, and he said, quit it. I'm your friend. So by the way, if I'm with you, just say, this is my friend Ryan. We're good. But in that moment when he would say that, it was like we all had this kind of awkward, like, you just brought religion into this. You know, like, we're just trying to have lunch at Louie's, and now I'm aware that you have a pastor, and I'm evaluating him, and you go to church. You know, it's just this whole weird moment. That happens, and I think we have that view of like bringing Jesus. I'm not comparing myself to Jesus. Remember, we're all priests in Christ. We're the same. But what I'm saying is, we have this mindset often of when we bring the sacred Jesus religion into the normal daily life. That's that feels strange to a lot of us, and yet the incarnation affirms the fact that Jesus came in and brought life into his environment, and it led to revival. So that's our goal, to bring Christ in through our lives, right? The word uh, becomes flesh. The light um, shines in the darkness. That's affirmation. But there's another aspect of, of the incarnation that builds on that, and that is that Jesus is worthy of our adoration, right? He affirms creation, but he's worthy of our adoration. We adore him. In verse 14, it says, we're going to continue looking down this verse, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. And we all know what that word means, but the original audience would have heard something very profound. They would have heard that Jesus is the embodiment of the Shekinah glory from the Old Testament. Like, Jesus came and, and lived out this light. I don't know if you remember your Old Testament, but there was a tent of meeting, and Moses would go in and meet with God, and we'd come out glowing, right? And he was glowing, so what would the people say? They'd say, veil your face. Like, we don't, it's too much. And so Jesus, John tells us, is worthy of that glory. And I would ask you, when in your life have you felt just glory. I've used this illustration before. I don't know. For, it's hard to even put into words because it's such a cheesy one. But the Broncos game, you know, you know, like we drove, Grayson Coleman won it, but Grayson got to go because anyway, that's a, we'll talk about that in therapy someday. Um, Grayson and I pull up. We took his best friend and his dad because we got four tickets, but the two poor other people had to go to the nosebleeds. Like It's like, okay, we pull up and we'll see you guys later because I think we're going this way. And we go in a tunnel, and, like, everyone looks at our, like, our, what, our badges, and we walk in. And we end up walking onto the field. And I'm, like, standing on a – I've never been to an NFL game before. Um, I'm standing there. We're watching the practice and everything, and the people cheering. And at one moment, I don't remember if it was when the, the players first came out for practice, but the whole thing erupts. And your body just felt like, wow, you know? And then it ended. It was over. It was okay. It was over. And my next thought was, I bet this is what these, play, these players are like playing for. They're fighting for their position. They want this glory. It went away. But there's a story in the Bible where that sort of happens as well. I think Chris might preach on it in Thanksgiving. We've talked about the transfiguration. But I'm going to just touch on it now. And then when you come, you can kind of build on this. In Mark 9, uh, Jesus takes John, our writer, and Peter and James, and they go up a mountain, and Jesus is transfigured. What does that mean? He's seen 
in his glory, and he glows, uh, I think that might be in John's mind when he writes John, right? How could it not be, right? We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the glory was so big and so beautiful that what does Peter say, you know, being a doer? Let's make some tents. Like, let's make this the tabernacle. Let's make this the place. Jesus, you're glorious. All I can think of is never wanting to leave this moment. That's what Jesus offers us. Sometimes religious people talk like that, and the rest of us kind of go, come on. Like, that would be so boring. But it's not boring. What I want you to know is John is saying, everything you like, everything that has been made that you think is amazing, it comes to an end. Jesus made it. Furthermore, life was made from him. Right? He didn't just make life, which he, he, of course, did, but it was based on who he was. Let's make man in our image. And so when we find glory on earth, what we're really longing for is the glory that is in Christ. And when John and Peter and James saw the transfigured Jesus, they felt like, this is it. I never want to leave. This is glorious. And the incarnation brings us face to face with that glory, though not in full. We long to be with him fully in heaven. But in the meantime, we have access to that glory. How? The Holy Spirit, who dwells in our souls, illumines the scripture, praise and song, sermons, the sacrament, fellowship. These are all means of grace, means of being drawn into the presence of Jesus. But what we're longing for is to know him better. Is that your longing? Um, when Moses would come out glowing, right, from the tent, and the people would kind of say, shield your face. I just want to ask you, where are you doing that in your life? Like, where are you sort of like, I'm not really bringing Jesus here. Is there, are there places, entertainment, finances, marriage, et cetera, et cetera, your dreams? Where is, that's unbelief. Because if there's an area where you think, if I bring Jesus into this, that's going to not go well. That's unbelief. Because in your brain, if you're tracking what I'm saying, then you have to say, wait, if Jesus came into this situation, it would be amazing. Light shining into darkness. Yet I feel that if he were to come in, it would ruin things. Right? That's what we call repentance. We begin to go, wait a minute, maybe I need to bring that to Jesus and pray that he would show me how my marriage can flourish. Maybe we should go to the marriage conference or my parenting or how I interact with coworkers or the dreams I have, the goals I make for myself. Maybe there's a sin pattern that you are just dead set on not letting go of. I'm just not going to even go there. And Jesus is saying, I want to come heal you. Shine me into that area and I will bring light to that. Do you trust him? Do you long for his glory to shine into every piece of your life? Because that is the call of the Christian, right? That's what the incarnation is. It's Jesus saying, I'm coming into your world, into your heart, into your life. I'm gonna change you. I'm gonna transform you. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For, the, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What Paul is saying there is what I've been saying to you, is that when we go to Jesus in adoration, his light shines, he transforms us, and, and our life becomes a reflection of his light into this world we live in. How? We'll talk about that next week. Just kidding. We have 10 minutes. Let me tell you how for 10 minutes. Okay, five. We good? Everyone's like, 10 Third point, adoption. Adoption. I'm going to restate the points. The incarnation affirms humanity. It gives us our adoration or what we adore, Jesus. And the means is by our adoption. Uh, in verse 11, let me just kind of recap 9 through 13. Uh, John tells us the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, he was in the world, verse 10. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Uh, for John, the, the idea of world there is not necessarily the created universe, the created order, but rather uh, all of the um, conspiring forces that have turned on Jesus did not know him. Uh, I'll unpack that when we get to John 3 better. Um, but it says he came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. Now, wait a minute. All of the 12 disciples are Jewish. All of the audiences and all the stories in the Gospels are Jewish. John's not saying that Jewish people didn't receive Jesus. He's saying the religious realm, the, the, the very group that should have said, the Messiah is here, rejected him. Do you see what I'm saying? So, in other words, it's not, he says in verse 13, those that are born through blood lineage, through will of man or flesh, are born of certain people groups, but those who are born of God who are adopted. And that's what he's talking about, adoption. How much do you make of the fact that he has given you the right, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You have this right. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ, you now have the badge that says you are in Christ. You are completely of, of God. Where does that come from? I want to just look at verse 16 for a moment and then unpack this a little bit further. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Uh, there's a lot of, of disagreement on what that means. It sounds like it just means grace is overflowing like, like ocean waves. But the Greek would say grace instead of grace. What's going on? Uh, but look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, which I would say is a type of grace, right? It's gracious. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What John is saying is God is so gracious that while we waited for the Messiah, while we wait for Emmanuel, God to come and be incarnated on earth, he graciously gives us the mosaic disposition, disposition dispensation, the time where Moses, uh, he gives us the law and all of the artifacts and the ceremonial laws that point to Jesus. And that's what Hebrews talks about. 
right? So Jesus comes and he's the better Melchizedek. He's the better priest. He's the better prophet. He's the better temple. Like all of those things are amazing because they point to Jesus. What made sacrifice in the Old Testament so gracious and glorious was that it pointed to the Lamb of God who one day, someday, would come and die for our sins. And so this grace comes and is in Jesus Christ. So he says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. Do you believe that the, the God of the universe has adopted you? How do you feel like God views you? I didn't do any interviews with people that have adopted children. I thought about calling you guys, but I thought, you know, I'm, gonna just take, I'm just gonna take a risk and say this. Parents who have adopted children love their children the same. There's no difference. God the Father loves you the same. Does that make, because of Jesus, because of your adoption, you are fully loved and fully brought in to his care. The only, the tension on that is I think so often we don't even realize the ways we try to earn it. What are moments in your life where you've had something come your way that made you realize uh, not having to earn this is wonderful? Because I had an experience yesterday like that with Shane. I got to go to a football game. I got to go to the Boise State OSU football game. So just so you know, I'm a Sooner fan and I get to go to OSU games from time to time. Um, what's even funnier is we have a mutual friend who has a box, like a suite. Right? He used to be a campus minister, so I think because of our REF connections, it's fair to say we get invited to that. And I remember thinking when the game was coming closer, like that would be a really fun game to be invited to. And then the call came. Hey, I've got a, an extra ticket if you want to bring one of your children. Uh, and then Shane and I are talking. He's like, I'm bringing Francis. So little Francis got to go. For those of you who couldn't find a ticket, little Francis was in a suite. But she, I want you to know she enjoyed every minute of it. Um, she even watched the game. So I was taking Coleman with me, and uh, Meredith kind of wanted to go. And I was like, I'm sorry, I only have one ticket. And I, should, I, should I ask Mark Scheibe if he'd have another ticket? And then we get a phone call. I've got one more ticket. If you, I'm like, Meredith, you want to go? And she's already, she's decked out in orange and, and black with her OSU. We went. It was so exciting. Also, for those of you that are a little bit bitter because I'm an OU fan, um, I've been to like six OU home games in the last decade, and we lost five of them. The win was a KU. <laughs> It's like, that was the win. I, I went to the Ohio State loss. I think I went to the Notre Dame loss. I went to K, uh, Case, Texas Tech loss. Every OSU game I've been to, victory. Now, mostly it's because it's the early season games that no one, that, you know. Although I was at the TCU game in the same box, and it was a runaway, and then I was at the game yesterday. So if you want to invite me to an OSU game, you're guaranteed to win. But here's the point of this long illustration. There's something in us that loves being invited to this special place. Like there's a special door. You get like a special lanyard. I think, Abby, you probably get to do this every week. I don't know. And then they put like an orange bracelet on. And now you're stamped. You walk around and there's all these workers and they just smile at you. And you walk up to food and there's unending food. Am I making some of you jealous? Uh, 
all the food you can eat. In fact, Meredith got sick because she would go and just grab food and then go grab they had candy and they had ice cream. It was, it's unbelievable. And all that you have to have is just, no one knows me. No one cares where I went to college. No one says, do you know the stats? I simply had to have this orange thing. The funniest moment was I'm going this way to find the, the men's room, and there's a guy coming this way, but he has a white bracelet on. I have the orange. She's like, oh, sir, you can't go that way to the other man. You need orange to enter in here. I'm like, I've got, I've got my orange. You, you, we all, let's be honest, we all long for that, and we have it. There's a tent. There is a tent that you have access to that when it opens, you're welcomed into the tent and it's Jesus transfigured, glowing and looking at you and saying, yes, come in. You are mine. I love you. And you worship and you adore him and you never want to leave. That game ended. Those workers are like, time to go home. The food was put away. This tent never ends. And it's the tent you've been invited to because of the glory of Jesus. And what do you have to do to earn it? Nothing. You say, oh, you have to believe, Ryan. But that is from Jesus himself. That is from the Spirit too. You don't do that. You don't do that. That's a gift from God. There's nothing you can do. You simply show up and Christ has brought you in. We're going to celebrate this meal in just a few moments. And it's this reminder, this beautiful celebration of the fact that it's his blood that gives you the bracelet. It's his blood that gives you the the, the lanyard. It's his righteousness that allows you in. And when you walk in, it's all because of him. And that is glorious. Not once did a person look at me and say, do you belong here? It was completely like wherever you want to go. That is what heaven is like. And we have that now because of the incarnation. Is that your story? Is that your freedom? Do you rest in the identity of Jesus? my encouragement for you would be to long for that. Because if you even like that idea, then that tells me the Spirit's already working in you, giving you this passion, this longing to know him better through worship, through praise, but only because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that we have in Jesus a new identity. Grace upon grace, Lord, the grace that replaced the law. Lord, the grace that takes away any sense that we have to earn it, it's completely merciful and gracious from you, O Father. Will you forgive us for testing that? Will you forgive us for doubting? Lord, will you give us assurance of your love and presence in our lives because of what Jesus has done? As we transition in a few moments to the Lord's Supper, will you, through your Spirit, Revive us again to be confident in our identity in Jesus. Amen.